You're listening to the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, cross-dresser and author of the Living with Cross-Dressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of foxandhanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. Hi, Savannah. Hey, Julie. Do you know what day it is today? It is a Fox in a Phoenix podcast day. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That's exactly what day it is today. Nailed it. And guess what? What? Today we get to talk about shame. Wow, that's that sounds so uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> this, I guess, we should put a warning label on this. Hello, this may be a, hello, yes, is yeah, anyone this, there? This hello? may be a very sad, sad episode. <laughs> hello, I said we're talking about shame, 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 <laughs> shame, shame, shame. Nice. <laughs> Man, you can always put something into song. I love it. I love it. So what is it about shame you want to talk about? Well, um, and what a delicious subject that is, and it just makes everyone just want to hang out with us, isn't it? It, Yes. So it does. Riveting. Um, (laughs) So I came to a part of your book where it spoke about cross-dressing and hiding the fact that you're a cross-dresser and hiding this secret or this part of you. And the part that, that struck me was the, facts, was the fact that it talked about bricks poured, poured concrete, layering the foundation of the secret bunker that are filled with misdirections, half-truths, omissions, and just the idea of having to put so many layers on top of this truth that you're a cross-dresser and just having to kind of, I just pictured almost like a Dr. Seuss um, image, but without the color of just like placing layers upon Mm. layers and like barbed wire fence and concrete and all this over this beautiful, you know, jeweled box that is your truth in terms of your cross-dressing. And it was just it struck me because I think when it comes to hiding a, a secret truth or a shame from, from the world, that is something that universally we can understand. We can all kind of connect on that level. But when it comes to, to cross-dressing, the way you wrote was so beautiful and it, it just like it pierced through my heart because I got it. In that moment, I got it at how many people out there, the people who are listening, the people who have read your book, the people who aren't listening, who haven't found your book, that are just so deeply ashamed of this part of them because they've been made to feel through movies and stories and projection after projection that they are sick in the head, Mm -hmm. that they are so messed up that if they even showed... Uh, an, a little inch of this, that everything as they know it would be destroyed and would come to an end. And whether that's true or not, just the idea that they have to hold that burden, it pains me. And I want to talk to you about it on, on the podcast today. Wow, yeah, that, that is a deep, deep subject. Uh, I would say for almost any cross-dressing male to female probably in my generation i would say probably more so than the current generation you know the the up-and-comers who Mm. have a lot more facility and capacity to kind of be like no i'm gonna just be who i am and be out loud and you're just gonna deal with it or i understand it more because i've seen it more and i have the internet i'm sure that shame is a lot less for them than it was for me i do remember we have spoken about my cross-dressing. And I think one of the things I had said uh, in that episode was that when I was young and I found myself attracted and drawn to going to my sister's drawers and my mother's drawers and finding their, you know, the bras and the girdles and the slips and all the things that I was attracted to. And I've said this, I did not have shame for wanting to do what I was doing. I only had 
guilt for the fact that I was someplace I wasn't supposed to be. You know, just the fact I was in my mom's room and it was off limits, that was really the crime, right. not the crime of wanting to put on her heels and kind of, you know, it was plot. more of a curiosity yeah. guided yeah. by this curiosity to right. explore in a place where you maybe shouldn't be. Right. There was no concept of shame of mm-hmm. wearing these clothes or putting on these heels of my mother because my mom wore it. And I didn't have the idea of gender yet that mm-hmm. said, no, 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 no. As a boy, you don't do this. You don't wear that. You don't act Which is that huge. Way. Right. So I wanted to, to preface this entire conversation with the knowledge that we are not born with shame. And as cross-dressers and bi-gender and dual-gender and two-spirit and gender-fluid and gender-queer, we are born this way, but we are not born with shame attached to it. What happens mm. is we grow up, and because of our environment, and because of our parents, and because of maybe religious terminology and indoctrination, yep. as we get older, we start to attribute the shame that everybody else is assuming to put on for us. So we take that burden. So you talk about that bunker that now is concreted in brick by brick and concrete block by block and chained on top of this beautiful yeah. box. That's what happens. We are indoctrinated into all this shame and we have to, in order to survive, have to put more and more emphasis on making sure that nobody thinks that we're outside the norm yeah it reminds me of that childlike spirit that you may see in photographs of yourself that's just like this beautiful and i see it in myself this like sparkly light being and then as you grow up and you become nine or ten or eleven or twelve it's almost like the world just beats it out of you yes and just takes that magic that childhood magic and just pours duty and shame and gravel and (laughs) barbed wire until you are so far from that person, from getting in touch with that spirit that, you know, for some, it could be called a feminine essence that makes magic magic and the world seem like this place to explore and try on and everything is kind of okay. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing was off limits for me. Right young when I was pre-adolescent it was like there was no understanding that it was not to be explored mm. you know I mean you think about all those kids and I, and I know you have a personal preference to this but little girls who want to dress up as princesses and have fairy wings and a magic wand and and make believe they're flying and and putting magical dust on things yeah. and they're stuffed animals and we look at that we're like oh that's so cute but how many of us can relive and revisit what that child is actually feeling? You know, the, the imagination and the fantasy and the, the, the hope and all those things that And the drive... learning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Play and imagination. It's how children learn about the world. And it's the grown-ups. They wreck it. mold them they just bulldoze <laughs> over it. And they teach their children these truths, whether it be beating them with the shame stick and making them feel like that palpable shame or it's very kind of matter of fact girl you are a girl not even you are a girl be a girl boys will be boys Mm -hmm. oh boys don't play with dolls there was that whole free to be you and me william's doll and it was this radical thing in like the late 60s or 70s where william wanted a doll the point of boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And if you do what is expected of that gender, then it's okay. If you do opposite of that gender, all of a sudden the wheels come off. Mm. Like in a parent, uh, for instance, um, Judy's daughter's son is younger of two and the, old, mm. the older sibling is, is a girl. And so the younger son wanted to walk around in the heels, the little light up heels. So you walk mm. and they light up and strobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to rock, walk around in these cute little heels. And the parents thought it was adorable. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you when I was a kid, that would be seen with a little bit more 
disdain by parents, especially if you did it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, no boys can't be girls because only girls wear heels and sparkly things. So and that's mm-hmm. off limits to a boy. And like you said, boys can play with an action figure, not a doll. You know, as long as that action figure is like a G.I. Joe figure and not like, you know, something prissy and with a dress and satiny and tulle and all these things. Yeah, there's certain limits to like even toys. Luckily for us, toys have become way more unisex and not even advertise and merchandise with a male and female slant. Um, For instance, you know, Lego was always for boys. And then Lego came up with the Friends lines, which has flowers and pretty colors, and the characters were were different, and it was all girls, and they had puppy dogs. God forbid they used the primaries for the girls. Exactly, exactly right. And now they're, you know, they did that because, you know, they felt that that's what girls wanted, and that's fine. So at the very least, they recognize that girls would want to play with Lego just as much as boys would. Now we can go forward and look at Lego in a lot more unisex way that, oh, if a boy wants to play with like the elves set, you know, that has a dragon and and elves and and fairies with wings and really cool structures, or if they just want a city set, you know, they're welcome to do either. So I love the fact that they are incorporating in a way that, it's all about learning. It's all about yeah. like getting people to use kids to use your imagination and say, Oh my God, I can make this with this. And Oh my God, look right. what I created, whether it's by instruction or by imagination. Right. That's- and yeah. And, and something happens in the development in a child's development as they go through adolescence and, and all that and into adulthood where through, through shame and trauma. And like we've, we've, we've mentioned, so far on today's podcast, so many different layers are placed upon this, whether you call it a heartbeat or a picture like a golden, a golden butterfly or, or whatever it is. And it's, it's heartbreaking. So I, I don't know about your experience because you wrote a book that just speaks to so many people's specific stories. Whereas for me, it's, when I meet someone who's sharing with me about their cross-dressing, it's this kind of quivering heartbeat or that very weak butterfly mm. that they used to, that used to fly so freely and used to beat so freely and so loudly as children. For me, when people come into my life, whether they are sharing with me that they are really a woman or that they like to cross-dress, it's almost like, have you ever seen those movies where the character just kind of like squints and closes their eyes really quickly Mm -hmm. after either they admit something or after they touch something and they don't like it, they they immediately close their eyes because within the darkness it is safe and they can't see judgment or they can't see whatever this scary something is. And most of my interactions I have with people are either through email or on the phone. And I, I, I see it and I feel it. And I ingest that moment where they share this vulnerable part of themselves, whether or not my entire business model is accepting and loving. And this is a place where you are free to, to admit you're a cross-dresser and to, to be free to be however and whoever you are. It's still when you break through all those layers of boxes, right? And when you open Pandora's box, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no matter who you first open it for or to, whether it be someone you really don't know, you know, a trained, a therapist, a mother, a sister, a friend, it feels as vulnerable. It feels like you just want to slam it shut during that beginning part of it, because you are so susceptible to people's opinions, discomfort, whatever it may be. It's safe to say that most of the people that I connect with, that is the experience they have with me initially, where it is this exchange of this scary, I am naked kind of moment versus, oh yeah, I'm a cross, you know, I'm a cross-dresser, proud cross-dresser. You know what I mean? It's, It's more vulnerable than that it, it needs to be handled as such and unfortunately you are so right in my personal experience anytime i share myself with somebody 
One, I try to do in a way that I kind of stack the odds in my favor that I won't feel as vulnerable. I'll feel as an opportunity. But every time I tell anybody about Savannah, it is a risk. It is something that is, makes you very vulnerable. And if they come back to you and say, oh my God, that's amazing. You feel validated. You feel like a confirmation for who you are. Um, but every time there is that moment, like you said, of like you, you, you flinch. You're like, all right, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the reaction. And a lot of people have been like, oh, okay, moving on. Or some people are like, oh my God, let me ask you a million questions. Or some people are like, yeah, okay, uh, I don't really want to know more, but thank you. You know, and those are far, that's a huge, that is a huge spectrum of reactions that one, you have to, the crossroads has to understand that not everybody's going to react in the perfect way. Right. Like if all you're doing is saying, I'm a crossdresser, you, and they're like, um, okay. It's like, and you you were all about, I want to be validated. They're going to love me more because I was so brave. That may or may not be the reaction you get. And you have to be okay right. with that because this is not about you only tell people so you feel validated. You tell people because you are proud and confident of who you are. And telling them is just an extension of like, I want to be my most truthful self with you. Right. And I think, and at the other side is the more that you say it and the more you practice, whether it be with your name in the mirror to someone, the more layers you can let go of, mm. the more residue you can dust off from all those years of hiding yeah. it, yeah. the easier and more, because I know that like when people tell me at the stage that they're at, it's confirming for themselves mm. and they're owning and honoring themselves. Right. And there are so many times where people hear me and ask me to repeat something and receive this information in such disbelief when I tell them that I only know you as your female self. And when you send me your male mode pictures, I only see your female essence and spirit. I promise you, this is something that for so long, not only have they been not able to see for themselves necessarily, maybe they'll get little glimpses of it, but suddenly the fear, they'll kind of buck up as they used to say, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, lock the door on that. But to find someone who can only see that, I mean, for me, that's, I see their authentic female self, whether they are totally there or not. That's all I know. Whether they send me pictures of themselves in male mode, I'm already there. That's the only, that's all that I see. That's yeah, all that you, I'm able yeah, to see. Yeah, You see the potential of a person and you see the essence of a person. Whereas for, for two reasons, one, you've just met this person. They've given you a right. glimpse of who they are. And they will come to you and say, hi, Julie, my name is Stephanie. And this is my journey. So you're already tuned in. It's like, okay, I know where we're going. You're going to tell me a little bit more about yourself. And I'm going to get even a grander picture of that person you are becoming. So that you have, you have a, a rare perspective of meeting somebody on the journey versus growing up with somebody who was denying their own journey and showing you something completely different. So you, you, in that way, have the ability to see past all those layers and see them for who they truly are, regardless of yeah. the picture they show you or the words they use, because you're like, oh, you know what? I've just met you and I can see it. I see right. what you are in truth, not the things that you've denied yourself for so many years and have portrayed to the world. Right. And I, I, and also that comes from just the empathy of, of knowing what it's like to be different, to have people, not, I, I don't even want to get into the negative space. So I'm just going to flip it okay. to have people see me really see me. And that is something, whether you are a prince, a queen, a drag queen, the post person, <laughs> it touches on the full gamut of human of humanity everyone wants to be seen really seen and 
Sure, for me, it's, it's much easier, but convincing and earning that trust, it takes, a, convincing the person that I am 100%, that's all I know. Whether they tell me their male name and show me a male picture, I am able to see a female spirit because that's just, that's how we know, that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. They're no, here I, for a reason. Yes, exactly. And that's what you see. I've met too many people in my life who don't see their own beauty. I know we've had a whole conversation about yeah. beauty and um, you know how some people think they're plain or some people think they don't live up to the expectation and the social norms mm -hmm. of beauty. And I can meet you and I can be like, oh, I see you, the capital Y, capital O, capital U. I see you. And so while you've been living under the the guise of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty mm. enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. People have told me that. And I've carried that weight for years and years and years because we have lost all that enlightenment and hope and fantasy and imagination and creativity of a child. And we have not brought that with us because like you said, society and parents and our environment has beat that out of us or beat it down. I don't think they beat it out of us. They just suppress it so hard that we forget. And so when I meet people, I maybe like you, I was like, I can see the potential in a person. I can see that thing that they can't see in themselves. And I do my damnedest to constantly reinforce the person I see, not the person that they think they're showing me. Mm. And I think we all have to, and because that's been part of my journey. I've denied myself for too many years. I've thought that I'm an ugly woman. I've thought mm -hmm. that I can't ever be attractive because I was trying to live up to a very stereotypical notion of what that was. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've fully, fully, fully embraced Savannah in her beauty and what she has to offer. And while I've written books and while I've been on Instagram and on Facebook and, and presented myself in a way that was meaningful, it was very important for me to like, continually look at myself in a way where I'm affirming myself yeah. because if I can't affirm myself, then I'm constantly relying. Like, like I keep saying, it's like you're constantly in reliance of other people telling you you're okay. Right. right. And while I'm happy to be that cheerleader and happy to be that person to say, you are the most beautiful person. And then you're saying, no, I'm not. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm not. That's fine because people need that validation. But at some point, we all have to understand that that potential is inside us all the time and that all we need to do is recognize our own validation and all of a sudden the world's going to open up because we're going to realize we are beautiful in spirit and in body and we are intelligent and clever and have so much opportunity and hope to give. And that's really, at the end of the day, that's what all of us should have. It's what all of us should have, and it's so nice. And you and I have spoken about this um, in terms of our own connection and our own kind of unpacking of how we see ourselves and how we are able to see the best version of ourselves kind of reflected back within our, within our friendship. The part of me that used to completely close up, kind of like a clamp, you know, with just immediate close up, doesn't close up with you. I'm able to somehow believe 100% in what you say and, and how you feel and the truth that you're speaking with me. And I am so fortunate to have so many different relationships and so many deep female friendships. And over the years when they've talked about me, there's a part of me that closes up. There's a part of me that doesn't believe it. I, I, I'm known to be, I guess, kind enough on myself and to them to not be like, no, I'm not, shut up. Like, mm. But with you, you've stretched a part of my heart open and I'm able to believe it, own it, and see it. And I can't tell you before I met you for probably a year or two um, where I was with my work, I was so angry with my dyslexia. And I have a wonderful business partner who balances me out completely. Right. And for me, because I don't think in a technical way and because my brain thinks differently, I was furious with myself because I felt like if I only 
if I only was good in school, really, mm. this is where I went. If I was only good in school and I understood technology and I just did all the things that I wish I could do, my business would be, or if I was a man, I told myself that if I was a man, like suddenly if I was a man, my dyslexia wouldn't exist and all this wouldn't exist. But just the confidence, the lack of confidence when it comes to what you're worth and when it comes to what you have to um, give to the world. If you feel like you have so much to give, but somehow, let's say you can't walk, let's say you're in a wheelchair and you have so much to give and so many, much land to cover, if only you could walk, it mm. would be X, Y, and Z. And I feel like when the two of us came together and you and I became friends and created this synergy and created this, um, I'll call it a, a template for all the things we can do together. It made me, it, it struck that match in my ability to be passionate about something and to realize not only can I do this, but now I have a friend that has my back and that we're working on it together and she's as passionate. And so together we make some like supernova mind. You know <laughs> what I true. mean? It's true. So back to the point about not needing other people's validation, there's that 100%. And then there's the idea that when you meet kind of the yin to your yang, or when you meet that magnetic force where you're able to be like, wow, we can work in tandem and it doesn't have to be so solo. And wow, I'm a cross-dresser and I have a partner that suddenly can see me, hear me, wants me to do better and thinks I'm attracted. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> yes. it, it, it creates this beautiful world out there. Yes. And yourself. thank you. That's, that's beautiful. By the way, you're giving me, give me a little weepy mm. um, because, you know, and again, I don't know if I stated it correctly. Yes. I always like to surround myself with those people who are the most positive influences on me. I don't want to surround myself with negative energy. I don't want to surround myself with people who just see the world in a pessimistic way. Mm. Um, it's so important, I think, for all of us to surround ourselves with people who truly love us, truly see the best in us, because at the onset of anybody who is unsure of themselves, they need as much of that in their life as possible. Mm. I think that's always critical because it takes the human person as an adult because of what we've had drummed out of us, suppressed, beaten down, beaten out all those things that make us not the person we had intended ourselves to be and when we were younger and when we were developing, we need those positive forces to let us regain our own sense of self. And mm -hmm. you, like you've said for me to you, it's the same. I mean, you've, along with many other people who are currently in my life, are positive forces. And those positive forces have allowed me to be more visible, more confident, feel more beautiful, feel like I'm able to accomplish more. I mean, if it wasn't for you, there was never an inkling or a thought that a podcast was going to be in my future. Mm. It was definitely a hard no for me when it was brought up <laughs> about, about a year ago in October. Somebody said, you should do a podcast. I'm like, who the hell is going to listen to me? And this, yeah. this manly voice, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that I found a partner in you that we can constantly, you know, we go back and forth that we have that yin yang, we have that conversational tone, we can speak to each other and for each other and for other people. That is a synergy I needed in order to make a podcast actually work for me. You and Judy and other people in my life have let me know or let me believe so that I can believe in myself that I am a beautiful woman when mm -hmm. I choose to be and that I'm still a handsome or beautiful man when I choose to be. You know, we had talked uh, a couple podcasts ago about I want to be seen as these adjectives. I want to be beautiful versus handsome. Yeah. I want to be cute. And those are the things that I think I'm becoming. And with the help of others, it allows me to self-reflect in a way that I can be completely honest with myself and get rid of all those bricks, blocks, mm chains, concrete, barbed wire. I was wire. just pick 
picturing all that. Yeah. All this Fort Knox bunker that's really surrounding that beautiful chest, that box that can be opened. And again, we use Pandora's box, which is kind of a misnomer because they open Pandora's box and they let loose all the ills of the world. Mm. In our case, we can use the analogy to say by opening that box, aside from all those layers of shame Mm -hmm. and hatred and guilt and secrecy that we need to tear away from what's above that box we're guarding. We also need to open that box to lose all those pent up things, all that shame, all that guilt, right. all those things that we've left and let be in the box. Cause we're comfortable with them. Yes. Oh my we God, know yes. them. We've, we've nailed, we know exactly what they look like. They are our best friends, our worst enemies, and we know them. So this often comes like when you say something to me that is very loving and that knee jerk reaction on those days where I'm not particularly feeling loving towards myself, I may say, Oh, not, Oh, you mean to tell me that I'm a piece of shit? Like, it's not like that, but it's almost (laughs) like, I can't believe you. I can't hear it because this is my story. Right. This is what I know about shame. When I was growing up, I was shame. Mm. But the following reasons. So unless you're there to read that script with me and do that tangle with me, why the hell am I alive? Why am I here if you're not willing to unpack shame with me? And that's a really interesting place to be with someone when they're in that space. That doesn't mean that they're not a positive person. And that doesn't mean that you as my friend should say, okay, bye. (laughs) But, but I, what I've learned is that when someone feels so bad about themselves and someone feels so in their story, in their pain, when they're being triggered so hard, the most kind and loving thing that we can do is slap on those boots and sit in the muck with them. Mm -hmm. And just be there wholeheartedly, not try to counsel, fix, solve, compartmentalize, but just sit with them and be like, and just hold space and sit there and put your hand on top of their hand and just wait until the storm kind of passes. Um, But but I do tend to, um, if we're using an analogy, I do tend to be that person. I'm willing to sit in the muck with you. But I'm also willing to put an umbrella over you as well. I know. And, and what I mean by that is like, yes, I may not be counseling you like a professional therapist, but I'm always going to want you to No, but I'm also good. Yes, I know. But I also will be the first person to say, why, why do you believe? I don't want to invalidate your feelings, but I want you to tell me why and what happens in those stories that we've written for ourselves that we are the the you know the tragic hero or heroine right. in our own right. stories and how the most we got individual individual right? the, <laughs> that person that like you don't know my pain because you, you haven't lived through me. it you don't get it i'm like well i get you now so tell me why now you feel the way you feel based on the past and i constantly have to tell myself that i constantly have to counsel myself on why am I feel? Why am I so sensitive about that? Why did that person trigger me? What is my deal? <laughs> I want to know the hardest thing for people like us who are emotional analyzers and we do check mm. in and we love to sort things out <laughs> is just shut the fuck. Just sit with the feelings. Yeah. Sit with the <clears throat> feelings. And if you can't do that for someone else, try your hardest. And trust me, I am trying to do this work. It is a practice. It is not easy not to numb and toke and dance and do all these things to make it better. But, and I'm not, I'm just talking about you in a solo situation and yeah, me in, yeah, yeah. in a solo situation is to just be with the feelings. Oh well, yeah. And I do, I definitely do sit in my feelings. I, I think the one thing about me, a couple of things, one, I have compartmentalized so well, yeah. over the years because of my cross-dressing and having to keep it secretive and keep it on the down low and make sure nobody knows anything about me that I don't want them to know. It's forced my brain to get very good at that practice. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I have learned about myself is that I'm very quick to react, number one, mm-hmm. 
uh, typically in a negative way. My reaction, my, my reactions in a positive way are very subtle. Mm. Like I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Awesome. But when it's <laughs> like, like softer, it's very soft. Yeah. But when it's a negative thing about myself, it's like, how dare you? <laughs> right. And so I've learned over the years and very recently I've learned that my sensitivity to those things while very quick and very emotive and very visceral, I have learned that it's so often not true for anything. Mm-hmm. It's so much of my own baggage. I've wrapped up in a tiny little bow that says, you need to act this way when somebody tells you this, because it's all about you and they know about you and they hate you and everything's about you and they don't want anything to do with you and Savannah. And oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And it goes on and on and on. And I've, once you recognize those things for myself, I found that you more quickly can get to a space of, you know what? That was not my truth. Let me apologize to the person for being so sensitive and so defensive and digging in so hard against what they had said and misconstruing what they had said to me. Uh, I think the more and more and more you recognize that in yourself, you can more quickly, not necessarily ever get over the reaction, but you're more quickly able to process it in a way that's more meaningful. And do you think um, on the topic of, of shame that it's more common with the male mind that if they feel shame, they're quicker to make someone else feel shame? I mean, that, maybe that's not how I'm saying, but like project it rather than feel it. Where maybe a female, a born female, maybe within her chemistry and society internalizes a lot, takes it personally, takes on this person's feelings, that person's feelings, and has to kind of balance it all. Does that make sense? It does. I'm trying, as you're talking, I'm trying to like think of a a situation in myself where I don't necessarily boomerang this shame back. Um, Because now I'm talking about somebody made a comment. I took it as shameful within myself. I got defensive and lashed out. So then I try to yeah. turn the tables. It's your fault. You're making me feel this way. You're wrong. Right. right. And, I, and you start invalidating everybody else in their own feelings because of how hurt they made you or right. how hurt you feel as a result of what was said. Um, so it, I can't speak to all males, but I do know that personally, I do tend to, to dig in very quickly um, and get very defensive and put up a big perimeter wall. And I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable or, or necessarily put you on the spot in a way no, that makes okay. you feel feel shameful. No, no, um, no, not at all. But I only ask because I find it so interesting when dealing with coming out as a crossdresser or dealing with kind of the blending of the female and male, blending of that dual gender stuff right. and all the emotions that come with it. And telling your partner, I'm a cross-dresser, and then wanting that to then stick them inside the bunker with you, <laughs> layer it all up with all the wire, and be like, great, right. let's sit here, let's work it out. If you have any questions, I'm not ready. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so, so in your book, or in knowing you, knowing that when you've told, you've given the advice of tell your partner, but give your partner the space to then seek out her own community to deal with this. It's not fair for you to be like, okay, it's just us. Lock the door. Do not say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, While, yeah, the couple things about that, and this is actually without uh, naming names, I just ran into this exact conversation uh, with with a couple. Uh, Number one, we typically always want our partner, whoever it is, to be our number one. Mm-hmm. That, that's where we want our most support. That's where we want to, to live with our life, with our partner, our wife, our spouse, our girlfriend. You know, we want them to be in on it with us. If we're ready to, we want our, our partner to be our number one. Always want to be our go-to. Barring that, if our partner wants nothing to do with it, has proved to be very anti-community, you know, before we ever tell them, we'll tend to go outside and mm. talk to other people and to get that validation to feel wanted, feel loved, whether it's other crossdressers, other females. Now, to your point, which is we've told our partners 
and we're like, it's you and me now, babe, us against the world. <laughs> and your partner's like, okay, um, what's cross-dressing? What am I talking about? Who are you? What's happening now? Or the sword to secrecy. Oh, but you God, can't no. No. tell anyone, babe. And they're just like, dude, what? I have like five girlfriends on my my sister. My <laughs> That honestly puts the metaphor. Like I just picture this partner just being choked and, yes. and just being like, what? Yeah, what am I supposed what? to do now? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't, like, we can't expect. The first thing I told Judy when I told her is that because one, I saw the shock in her face. That was number one, because she had never anticipated that was going to be the topic of conversation between the two of us. Uh, but one of the first and things how I said- Sorry, but how long were you two seeing each other before you had- Oh, no. This this the, was like as soon as we like realized it was getting serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we had a true first date, first date kind of thing. It was like, but as soon as I knew, we both knew it was like, oh, this is taking a turn. I'm like, let me stop everything we're doing and let's sit on the couch. Let me show let's you a picture. Let's see if you really want a piece of this. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but during that period of time, I told her, listen, you talk to whoever you need to speak to mm. because it can't be about you and me. You can't be reliant on asking me a question about me because that's assuming I'm the authority. I was like, but if I'm the problem, mm. you can't ask me to solve my own problem. So yes, absolutely. I will never deter any partner, uh, from telling whoever they need to tell and not being bossy about who no, all right you no. can tell your therapist and you can because as soon as you share this you no longer own the rights to that story it then becomes i mean you own your story sure but when you say here i'm telling you about this story and it is such a jarring and life-altering bit of information mm -hmm. it is right. unfair and unrealistic whether this wife you know swears up and down sure yes I'll, i won't tell anyone that's not fair you're asking her to lie women yes. seek out yes. women they're gonna need support groups or it will be problematic so right. by automatically owning the fact that this woman or partner needs community it can't just be you and her. No. It's not fair, is vital, and is something that I think that we should, you should write on our Fo the Fox and the Phoenix like Facebook page. I think it is something that if there is one takeaway from this episode, that is it, is that your partner, your precious partner, deserves to find community and talk mm. about this because she now is a huge part of this and her right. processing. Right. And that's not to say that she's going to, I mean, we're, we're, this is just the allowance of you. The if permission. You, if, well, and again, I don't even want to say permission because that's like, Why? listen, don't do it, but I'm going to let you No, that's wrong too. It's like just understanding and communicating with each other to say, I understand this is a big deal. I understand that as my partner, you are not intending or anticipating this. Um, I know full well, you may want to speak to somebody and, and, you know, God bless you. You do what you need to do for you. Mm. And so, so it's kind of permission. It's kind of allowance, but it's like, I don't want to be like, well, I didn't tell you you could, so you can't. No, it's definitely should always be allowed. The only thing I would like to say and would love to see is that, that they also share that with you when they come back say, Hey, let you know, um, I'm going to tell my sister. Right. And it's not like you said, don't tell your sister. No, they're just letting you know as a courtesy that they're going to tell their sister or, hey, listen, I've, uh, you remember my friend from college? I'm going to tell her too. And it's just more about keeping the, the lines of communication open. Yes. Not being uh, dictating terms. Right. And I understand what I just told you is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that I may not always be the person that you want to process this with. So true. So true. I would like to know, you know, just for us as a couple, I mean, how would you say it? You said it perfectly. I just forgot what it was. <laughs> it would be helpful to know what you're talking about. You know, like even that sounds a little. Crazy, yeah, there's no perfect. It's no perfect words. I mean, there's no perfect script. The only thing we can offer people. Did you say Abby. I did not. There's no words, Abby. There's just no words. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Didn't say Abby. No, right. I didn't. But thank you for thank you for saying it twice. Uh <laughs>
I just want to say that if you are, again, and we also have to recognize that this is a very specific instance, right? We are not talking about like your wife discovered uh, panties in your drawer and recognized that they, they, they were hers and, and shows them to you and says, what have you done with my panties? You know, there's whole other situations out there that we're not really allotting for. We're actually talking about like, honey, I have something to tell you. But the end result is, regardless of whether it's an omission or a discovery or, you know, you controlled it or it was something that happened to you as a cross-dressing you know, partner, the same road forward includes these things. They include the wife or partner being able to say, okay, I discovered that you're wearing my lingerie when I'm not home and I'm confronting you with it. But I'm letting you know that also that I'm going to be talking to my sister or my best friend or my mother mm -hmm. or whoever about it. And I will tell you this, more often than not, some of those people that you're going to tell have their own stories of like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you remember Joshua from high school? <laughs> He's a crossdresser or he transitioned or he whatevered. It's like my girlfriend, when I told her and I left her for the evening because I had a, a previous engagement, she reached out to her best friend who, ironically enough, also had been or I think was currently in a relationship with a fetish crossdresser. So how small a world is it mm. where the first person you tell is, oh, yeah, I'm also dating a fetish crossdresser and you should get away from that person as quickly as possible. Uh. <laughs> so I'm not saying that all these all these sources are uh, you know perfect, but... Um, like, is it, would it be totally inappropriate to be like, to land this truth bomb and then be like, but here's a pamphlet or like, here's a couple Facebook groups where you can, like, it's such a sensitive subject and I have no experience for what this would sound like, look like, any of that. But I do love the idea of the, of the man in your life not being like, all right, now let's jump in this secret bunker together and let's build a life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Build like, life with no internet access. I would be on the phone crying, processing, reading Oprah. Yeah, I can't even. When we re-listen re to this, I'm going to hear it differently and I'm going to be like, wait, am I asking for the man to grant access and give permission and... And that, I don't it, know. It's all in how we say things, right? Like, it is. And that's why when you said it, I was very quick to, like I said, when we use these words, a permission, allowing, right. those are so not the right word at all. Yeah, I would be all. pissed if that yeah, were right. exactly. coming from you or my husband. If they said, I give you permission, I'd be like, oh, don't you? Oh, oh no, you, know? you didn't. Right. But for like when I say, I give myself permission to open myself up to the divine, like, you know, <laughs> It's different. The it's word different. is different in my different. head. So thank you right. for correcting it. Or yeah, and I just want people to know that it's not like I said. You said it perfectly. It's not fair for the the wife or partner to be now saddled with this secret, with no way to talk to others about it. Because again, I shared it with you. Let's say that you and I are the partners. I shared this with you. You are now saddled, or carry the burden or the weight of this quote-unquote secret because i'm like honey i had to tell you but don't tell anybody else it's just between you me and you it's like i, I couldn't bear if anybody found out and then, let's roll and let's role okay. play if okay. i if i right. if i if i put it back on you it was like okay and then i was silent and then i was crying and then i needed to like throw up and maybe i need to go and get some ben jerry's however i reacted that felt natural and amazing to me right 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 i then say and i quote so who else have you told Ooh, that's a good exact one. spicy that's a good one so then spicy. you're like oh there's this facebook group that facebook group i bet a couple buddies or you lie and you're like only you babe and then it just crushes everything that you just did yes obviously in any relationship more than likely your cross-dressing male has been on boards and forums in Facebook groups and different places, just trying to find their own beats in their own place in the world. Right. Um, but I do understand yeah. that like, wait, you just told me and, but there's 7,000 other people who knew before me. Actually it's 835. <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, there is something to be said. If a person doesn't understand themselves to a degree that they have the confidence to even share it with you, there's more than likely that they spend a lot of time talking to other cross-dressers, being on FetLife, going on Facebook groups and following them. And just trying to like follow along to figure out where they are. And how but, many years has like, I really think it would be beneficial to come up with a show where we role play. Yes. And I don't mind who, what role I get. I really don't. <laughs> but maybe you should be typecast as a cross-dresser. Uh, yeah, probably. And I, I can come up with a list of questions that maybe people won't think about or maybe they're and I think it'll be really beneficial because right as we're talking I'm coming up with like three other questions that I want to bring up right now and I think that this should be a show that would be amazingly healing for so many couples because I love it I love it yeah definitely something I want to do but yeah shame like how long have you known like that would be number two of a question like how many how long has this been going on yes and then how is the person sp- – I'm sorry, but, like, if we don't end it now, like, we will have an entire, like, episode <laughs> on this because I I'm know. getting heated. Because if this person said it started in 1989, I'm just going to be like, oh, is this? you lied to me. You lied to me. You know, or, like, there's the whole, like, it just started last week. Like, what is an acceptable answer? And, and how does one create a safe space yeah. for this conversation? What do you need? in terms of you being the cross-dresser, what do you think your partner needs? Right. Does it need to be, does there needs to be wine? <laughs> God forbid you need a public space because there can oh, still geez. be some shrimp scampi throwing them, you know, Hello. Hello. you're telling me at a restaurant so I won't react, you no, know what yeah. I mean? Like, Don't do that, no, that's even worse. But shame. shame, I felt shame as I was told I had to which forced me underground into that bunker where I was very protective of self. Mm. And it's only been, and I came out as Savannah in 95. Savannah was a head to toe real identity in 1995. And it's taken me years and years and years and years to still not have that fear. And I still have fear of like going out. How are people going to react to me? What are they going to say? What might they do to me? Because I, live in a world where it's a possibility that these things could happen. Now, my shame of who I am has never been as heady as my fear for my safety. So I've never been shameful of myself, but I've been very worried about how I'd be received and how uh, people might react and what they may do. Mm. That makes so sense. that's so you had mentioned it like way early in this episode about like kind of the risk of telling people the risk of of letting people know who you are. So yeah, there's always been a component of shame, but as we're talking, I realized that my shame was never shame; it was fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's taken me years and years and years to kind of pull back all those layers of social expectation. What will people say and think if I tell them? What if they see me in the street? Will I be accosted? Um, is it safe to be out? You know, all these things are, are less about, it's, it's a component, shame is in there, but it's about, I'm worried about the external reaction to me. So I love me. I love me. I love Savannah. I love how Savannah is a part of my life. It's just externally, I worry about what people may do because I can't control that. That's a really important differentiation, like really separating the two. Yeah. So often the fear and the shame are in this like they're stew. Yeah. They're yeah. intertwined and they're in the stew. And it's so easy to say that shame and fear are the exact same thing. I mean, there's, there's fear and shame. Absolutely. Yes. yes. But also there's fear in itself and, and what that means. And for, for you, it, it, it was so primal. It had to do with mm. safety and, and how you would be received by everyone else and, and what it would mean for your life. Yes. Life. Would your life yeah. end? Or, or would like I lose my job or would I, people right. start whispering behind my back because your family. Right. And you, Right. Yeah. So for me, like, it's so funny, this conversation in itself has made me think that. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I really didn't have shame. I mean, I just had a realization I needed to not tell people. But I've always been very proud of Savannah as part of me. Even if I, like, I waxed and waned about, well, she's not acceptable. Uh, she's not pretty enough. She's not this enough. She's not whatever. 
but that's always been kind of like just more like a dysphoric attempt to be socially perfect as right. Savannah. Um, and right. And, and then just the idea that like, I was thinking about this just last night before I went to bed, the idea that like, can someone who truly knows you, is it fair to say that they should know every facet of you, every part of you, every nuance? And if they don't, does that mean that you're not truthful or that you're somehow withholding? And, and for me, that has always had a very complex relationship with myself with several different interests that involve several different types of community and all this. I pride myself on the privacy I have mm. on all the interests and the fact of the matter. And it's something I've been working on with therapy is if you don't tell someone something that doesn't mean that it's not important. Okay. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and it doesn't mean that it's not true for you. Gotcha. So there's that yeah. whole yeah, mountain sure. to, <laughs> to unpack. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I've told people at work because I felt that they were important enough to me to warrant the truth about me because I wanted to share me in total with them. But I'm not, I'm not running off to HR to tell HR about Savannah so that everybody in the company can know. Although there may be a point in time when I become like an ambassador for trans issues in the office where I could talk to people about it as like the resident expert of these things. Mm, I can possible. see it now. <laughs> I can see it now. But You have it, to have like a special pin and at least Maybe a like, sash. Like oh my gosh, sash. I was picturing a sash, but I didn't <laughs> want to say it, to be quite honest. <laughs> but that's kind of thing is like, these are just degrees of things that may or may not happen in the future for me. And I'm very content and happy with the progress I've made with the people I've spoken to and shared with. And that circle gets larger all the time, but it's still not the world. It's still right. not my entire family at the reunion. Still not everybody I'm going to see at my 30-year high school reunion. It's like, no, those are still very, very separate for me. And I'm okay with right. that. And is, yeah, is that bad or good or is it just what it is? I think it's just what it is. Nice. Think, yeah. Nice. I like that. I like things just being what they are and not yeah. having to put in a good or bad category. No. It's very but we do Buddha. that. Yeah. Yeah. But we tend to do that. It was like, well, I'm lying to you. So therefore one, I'm lying to you. So that just means it's a secret, which means it's bad, which means I'm a bad person. No. Right. It just means that you are comfortable. Shame, 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 fear. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, well played. Well played, Ms. Rubenstein. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, do, would you like to do the, uh, the fare thee wells or should I? Um, Let's see. It was your topic. Oh, I can't remember where it okay. started. <laughs> well, how about you take a little and okay. I'll take a little. We'll All right. Collaborate. Let's, I like so collaborating. This, I love it. I, I love do. it. So this has been, <laughs> as always, a wonderful experience Thank sharing you. with you. And I hope that it was equally as entertaining and thought provoking <laughs> to provoking, provoking. Thought-provoking, yeah. Nice. Yeah. To all of you, and we thrive on your, on how you feel and think and your own stories. So please follow us on the Fox and the Phoenix podcast on Instagram and comment below and all that jazz. Yeah, and give us a like, give us a listen, share with others. That I mean, because I was thoroughly entertained today. As like, it didn't even matter that we were talking to people. I forgot uh, we were <laughs> recording <laughs> for probably three hours of this one. <laughs> and I love it. And I hope that's what people love about us because I don't know. I get a kick. I get a kick out of it. I love spending my Sundays with you. Because I get a kick out of, out of you. you. Always a song. Always a song. Yep. So again, we love bringing you content. We would love to get content from you. If you have a story, please share it. Please share us with others who you think might benefit from us. And uh, we will see you next week. 
Yeah, I just got really excited because I realized we get to come back next week. Yes. As much as we don't want to go right now, it's like, sweet, <laughs> next week. Next week. Get to do it's it always again. next week. Yeah. Okay. Bye for now. Till next time. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com. Julie, it's your moment. <gasps> the Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses Anchor. Copyright 2021. Yes, nailed it. We would love to hear from you because your story matters. Please comment and share on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix Podcast underscore.